We got to grow with it. We got to let the people see us grow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Voices of REC. I am your co-host, Nazrina Makasege-Manaya, the Senior Development Associate at the Ruth Ellis Center. I'm currently coming to you from my home studio, not joined by my co-host for a very, very good reason. Um, We're going to be doing something of a special episode for you all, so stay tuned. Um, I just want to begin this episode stating that Black Lives Matter, and as such, we will be dedicating um, this episode to the movement, to the mindset that is, and also talking about how it meets with the intersections of the LGBTQ identity. So we'll be discussing that with three amazing individuals, three women who I absolutely adore, One of these segments is going to be a total surprise. The other two, um, we were joined by um, London Bell of Bell Global Justice, and we're going to be getting an international perspective on the movement and talking a little bit about the intersections of, you know, what it means to be Black and what it means to be LGBTQ um, in this time of global um, protests in support of Black lives. And we're also going to be talking to Kylie Scales, the Black Lives Matters Global Network Managing Director. So we've got an amazing episode ahead. Um, thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll enjoy. My co-host, Aisha Schultz-Bradlin, the community engagement manager here. That's my co-host. That's my ride or die. You know, when I'm two, she's one. When I'm one, she's two. Okay. Member of the coven. All right. But what you may not have known is that Aisha is also an activist. Um, And given the time that we're living through, rest in peace, George Floyd, um Brianna Taylor there's so many names there's there's so many names um that come to mind especially now um that this movement has come back into you know come back into sort of the center of society um with a force yes yes um black lives actually do matter and always have right so I'm going to take this time actually to have a conversation with Aisha about the work that she's doing. Um, Yeah, so take it away, Aisha. Talk to the people about what you've been seeing, how you've been doing. Yeah, so um, I just want to preface by saying I did take a sabbatical from work, um, and I know that is a huge privilege in itself to have a a career and a workplace that will give me a sabbatical to focus on, you know, my Black Lives Matter activism and my community work. Um, And I, that's not lost on me. So I just want to make sure I preface that. And I understand this is not something that, you know, all people have the privilege of having, you know, a lot of the organizers that I'm working alongside with, they still have full-time jobs they got to go to. Um, So I think that speaks to just the push and the importance of this work um, and why, you know, we've seen such a research of it in this way um, and actually are getting support from people who you would not even assume would be supporting, like the 49ers. <laughs> um, but 
I, uh, when we talk about what I've been seeing, like in the field, um, the first day I went out to protest here in Detroit was very jarring to me. Um, I, well, I left feeling very confused, very hurt, very like unheard, very not very much not seen. Um, and that's why, you know, I pushed to start my own like activist organization under the Black Lives Matter movement um, and start to put in the work that I wanted to see in, the, in this movement. Um, one of the things that was very jarring was to see, you know, um, people yelling at Black police officers about Black Lives Matter as if their life also <laughs> didn't matter. Um, to see them, to see white people inciting riots um, in Black neighborhoods um, and to also see the big gap of no one talking about Black LGBTQIA lives. And that is what really, really just kind of hurt to the core. Um, even when I was asked to be a part of some of the, or the organizing groups, you know, I made a simple request that people put their names and their pronouns, you know, in their profile so that we knew how to address them when we weren't misgendering folks. Right. And I was told that that wasn't important, that that's not what we're doing right now. Wow. And that was painful because I'm a Black queer woman. Mm -hmm. So does my life not matter in this movement? Mm -hmm. So why am I joining your group to speak up with you? You mm -hmm. wanted my voice, but mm -hmm. you don't want my struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and that bothered me. So because of that, I started my own organization um, that focused not only on, you know, Black LGBTQIA folks in the Black Lives Matter movement, but also focus on Black communities, Black spaces, um, a big portion of that is like protecting those spaces, providing resources to those spaces, providing resources to Black young kids who have nothing to do this summer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when kids don't have anything to do, they start getting into trouble. And that's right. not what we really want to see, right. um, especially during a time where it's so dangerous for them to just exist anyway. Uh, we don't want them to be put in other positions. So that's a little bit about, you know, where I am in the movement um, and just like why... I decided to take a sabbatical from work and why I just, you know, start, decided to do this on my own because I felt like that narrative was missing. The narrative of protecting all Black people, right. all the intersections. Right. All you know, Black lives matter. Right. Black right. trans lives, Black lesbian lives, Black gay lives, right. like everyone. And it just felt like, you know, how can we be saying that Black lives matter if you're ignoring all of Black people's intersections right. and that they don't matter? Right. And then literally making folks who are at the front lines feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. and what made me so upset was that like when I looked around I recognized a lot of folks because you know the black LGBT community here in Detroit is not that big and so it's like black LGBTQIA folks are the ones who are here and you're telling us that we have no place in this fight right so should we go home mm -hmm. like that didn't make sense to me mm -hmm. so yeah so I'm not gonna ask how, you know, how do we create space, but more like what needs to be, like what are you seeing? What needs to be done to ensure that um, Black LGBTQ lives um, are being recognized? Because like we, we've experienced some violence, unfortunately, like down in Florida, yeah. there's Tony McDade, who is a Black trans man, um, who was killed by the police. Yes. And this is kind of around the time when, you know, when the country sort of began to sort of deal with what was going on in Minneapolis with, you know, the, the just awful 
extrajudicial murder of George Floyd. And you wonder to yourself why Tony McDade isn't making the same sort of, you know, sort of creating that same, so on the wave of that impact. Right. Or even, I believe it was a young trans woman, I think her name was Dior or something, or her last name. Ayana. Ayana Dior. She was beat up badly right by fucking black lives in, matter protests in, in minneapolis yeah, yeah in minneapolis yeah she was attacked yeah so it's just like yeah you know but then we're also you know even talking i know that people felt the way because even in the instance of brianna taylor mm-hmm. like you know it just seems as though like in this movement we respond so ferociously for black males mm-hmm. but when it comes to black women mm-hmm. when it comes to black lgbtq folks mm-hmm. when it comes to spe- especially black trans folks mm-hmm. it's like Oh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm saying that we shouldn't be ferocious on the depths of anyone, but mm-hmm. it just is, it, it just sparked me as like, posed the question in my head, like, what is the, where's the difference? Because when we're talking about Black lives, they're all still Black people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that has a lot to say about racism and just like, you know, how we've been conditioned to protect Black men in a certain way because mm-hmm. of just the racist things that have happened in our history and our ancestors and being separated from their families and just Mm -hmm. like always feeling this innate need to protect black men you know me and my mom even had that conversation with my brother Mm -hmm. and just trying to give him more autonomy because my mom just feels like she always has to do everything for him and always has to you know protect him and that comes from having to like you know what I mean Mm -hmm. really having to protect black men because of how ferocious the world is towards them right you know like when you think about it the protection and the outrage is kind of succinct with just how we are also seen in the world mm-hmm. right black men are kind of like at the bottom of the bottom and then it's black women mm-hmm. you know and then black trans women are underneath everything um i just get super like amped up about because there's so many layers to this you know like and you can't talk about one part of this without peeling back like the rest of the onion um because it it's crazy um and i think when we're talking about how do we protect black lgbtqia folks and these spaces or how do we make space for them? I think the number one thing that comes to my mind is protection. You know, when I was talking to one of our staff members here um, about like, you know, they were feeling away because they weren't going to the protest. And they were like, I just don't feel safe going to the protest because I'm black and I'm gay. And I'm like, I get that. And so I think what we're talking about including black LGBTQIA folks into this movement and, you know, really speaking on behalf of their lives and really touching on all the intersections, I think a big part of that comes with protection. And I'm not just talking about physical protection either. I'm talking about mental protection. What are we doing to prep folks before we go into these spaces? Mm -hmm. How are we organizing so that we know if anything happens, Black trans people, you out first because you are the most at risk. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or what are we doing to check in with folks after? You know, people are going to this protest and I know that this gets very academic, right? And people are like, we want action, we want action now. But the problem with reacting with your emotions and not planning and being diligent about how and being strategic about how we approach this issue is that when emotions are high and everything is reactionary, you don't really get the results that you want. And if we're really talking about dismantling white supremacy and all of these systems, if we're really talking about black lives truly mattering, Mm -hmm. that is what it's going to take. It's going to take strategy. It's going to take protection. It's going to take, you know, giving resources to our communities. Mm -hmm. You know, we still, you know, there's a big movement on black lives matter right now online, but we know just working in the center, not everyone especially Black LGBTQIA folks, have access to technology. Mm -hmm. So do they even know this is happening? Right. 
are they even aware? Exactly. Because when I walked around in my neighborhood and talked to my neighbors, they didn't even know people were protesting. Wow. Okay. And I was like, that's scary. So if you don't know people are protesting, if you don't know that this is really happening, then you're not even protecting yourself. That means when you go into a space, you know, you're not, there's a certain level of, you know, um, vigilance that is just not there. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be there because there are literally people kind of hunting you down at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of work on my part because, you know, I do a lot of community work. I'm the president of my college core block club. Um, So I was like, I can't be doing this work and also not making sure my community is safe because by making, by putting myself out there, I'm also making myself a target and everyone that surrounds me a target. And with that, a lot of people who surround me are black LGBTQIA folks who are already not protected. Mm -hmm. So... So, (laughs) and I'm interested, especially because, you know, I feel like just those that are part of our community um, are also probably involved very heavily in this work to some extent, whether it means Mm -hmm. just supporting those who have, um, you know, who have the strength to place themselves on the front lines and for those who are donating to different causes, for those that are volunteering at local jails, for those that are volunteering to be observers. Um, What have you been doing? Because we briefly spoke on, you know, sort of the protection in terms of mental health. What have you been doing to protect your mental health during this time? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, And that's a number one thing, right, is I feel like we are, and that's another thing when I talk about being reactionary, Mm -hmm. right? Because when your body, that's just like science, when your body is in this reactionary fight or flight mode, your your adrenaline is just rushing all the time that there, it's creating certain traumas within your body that you're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that means I've been having to do a lot of deep reflection, right? Like I literally went to Belle Isle the other day and met with a trauma therapist um, who's a part of the Michigan Liberation Organization who tells you, who literally was teaching us and my people in my group on how to take breaths, you know, and even in that sense, like doing those breathing exercises, I realized, whoa, I wasn't breathing properly. Mm-hmm. Like I have not been taking deep breaths mm-hmm. because I got lightheaded after taking a deep breath. And that mm-hmm. means that my body has been in such a fight or flight mode. It's been doing this breathing kind of way and that's not normal nor good for your brain (laughs) you know um so a lot of it is like you know making sure i'm seeing a trauma therapist um making sure i'm eating making sure i'm drinking water making sure i'm holding space for myself Mm -hmm. because you know it seems like when this happened everyone just felt like they especially black people right especially black lgbtqia folks just felt like they needed to do more that they weren't doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like want to, if anything resonates with anything with anyone from this episode, I just want black people, black LGBTQIA people and just black folk in general, black people in all the intersections to recognize and realize that your joy, your peace, your literally doing nothing is an act of resistance in mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors did not have that privilege. Mm-hmm. They had to be the ones at the forefront. We have allies now. Mm-hmm. Look at how many people are speaking up on behalf of us right. from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't give you hope about this movement, I don't know what does because mm-hmm. it definitely has re- re- like re-energized myself because I was feeling very worn down. Like, how much more can I do of this? Mm-hmm. But I had to remember that this isn't a sprint. This mm-hmm. is a marathon. Right. I'm not supposed to do this by myself, nor should I be doing this by right. myself. Right. There are people who, 
you know, the bigger community that you create and the more you reach out to folks, the more you can delegate, the more that, you know, you let people help you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big, big, like, in a new kind of concept for a lot of black folks right. because we're so used to having doing thing, everything by ourselves. Right. We're so used to people not thinking of us and not putting us first. Right. Um, and especially as a black queer woman, like I'm used to really pretty much doing it on my own, figuring it out, mm-hmm. like finding a way mm-hmm. because most times I'm not allowed in the rooms to get the resources. I'm not allowed in the spaces to ask for help. And if I am asking for help, people are literally telling me my life doesn't matter in that what I'm saying doesn't hold value and I don't feel seen or heard. Mm -hmm. This is the first time in a very long time I feel like the Black people as a whole have felt heard Mm -hmm. and seen. Mm -hmm. You know, people felt a way about um, the Black Lives Matter painting on the road to the White House. Yeah, there were a lot of varied opinions. There's a lot of varied opinions on that and a lot of people reached out to me on my thoughts Mm -hmm. um, on that. Mm -hmm. And I personally feel like I was really glad to see that. Granted, there's definitely more work to do, and that's mm-hmm. not the band-aid fix it all. And I think that the people and the 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 mayor knows that. Mm-hmm. But it's just the fact of like we are heard. Like mm-hmm. if anything, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, so y'all hear us now. Mm-hmm. You hear us. You mm-hmm. see us now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what that was for. That is a big emotional boost. That mm-hmm. is a big like you know that gives you confidence, that gives you strength, because one of the biggest things that we saw within these movements over the years is that it lost its trajectory because it was just us speaking. Mm -hmm. And people can dull out Black people. They have been doing it for years, Mm -hmm. but they ain't going to dull out their white friend. Mm -hmm. They're not going to, you know, dull out their Asian friend, their Latinx friend. Mm -hmm. They're not. Mm -hmm. So it's just that gave me so much more, like, oomph in me you know what I mean it just Mm -hmm. made me so much it was like oh so y'all hear us now let's be a little bit louder Mm -hmm. or oh so I can I can take a day to paint my bedroom Mm -hmm. (laughs) because y'all hear us Mm -hmm. it gives us more time to focus on ourselves and really get our mind right and our bodies right for this long long battle Mm -hmm. war essentially that we have Mm -hmm. and I hate to put it in those kind of like harsh terms but it is a war. Mm-hmm. It's a war for humanity. Mm-hmm. It is us trying to find the humanity within ourselves and within people mm-hmm. um, and fighting, finding that with love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this movement is so different from any of the movements in the past is because we have garnered a lot of the support from folks who don't look like us, from folks who are not a part of our community mm-hmm. because of our love and our connections to them, mm-hmm. because we have more white friends than we do, mm-hmm. because we you know, are doing work in LGBTQIA communities, mm-hmm. because we are doing these things, we have able to been able, we've been able to garner more support from people we wouldn't necessarily see support from. We're seeing companies who don't even have black people on the staff, mm-hmm. okay, let's be real. Mm-hmm but are saying Black Lives Matter because Mm -hmm. they know if they don't, there will be repercussions. Mm -hmm. Their business, that'll be the last time their business see a a red cent Mm -hmm. from many. And so it seems like just from what you're saying, there's a lot of paths to activism. Like, you know, some people are going to do it with art. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be on the front lines. Some people are, you know, going to make it a point to provide medical care. They're going to make it a point to say, hey, I'm a therapist. And if you need to sit down and talk, I'm here for you. Um, 
So it sounds like a good time to talk through what a call to action looks like from yeah. a local activist, from someone who's very dedicated, um, not only to the Detroit metropolitan area, um, but all the people that live here. This is really, I mean, if, so what is your call to action for all the folks that are listening from all facets <laughs> of life? Yeah. What can the beautiful people that listen to us, um, what can they do? So, um, anyone who follows me on Instagram or any of my socials know that my call to action has been pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try and, you know, make it very nice and fluffy for <laughs> REC um, while still delivering my point. But um, I would say that it's time for people to get uncomfortable, period. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling comfortable in this movement, you are not doing it right. Mm -hmm. You need to be uncomfortable. You need to be having uncomfortable conversations. You need to be doing uncomfortable work. You should be feeling like scared. You should be feeling afraid, sad, mad. You should be feeling the full range of your emotions because your full range of emotions means that it's getting to you. Mm -hmm. Your full range of emotions means that we are restoring humanity. Mm -hmm. And you know, to jump back to what Naz was saying, that's right. Like we're, we're fighting for the hearts and the minds of our society. And in order for us to fight for that, you need to feel this. You need to feel this pain that Black people have been feeling. You need to feel our struggle. You can't have our rhythm and not have our blues. Mm. You got to have both. Ooh. Okay? You can't be classy, bougie, and ratchet, but then not recognizing your privilege and being classy, bougie, ratchet, and being able to say that without someone denying you a job, without someone denying you access to resources, without someone denying you health care, without you, know, you being able to give life in a hospital and not be murdered because they are ignoring your pain, mm -hmm. literally, mm -hmm. ignoring your blues. Mm -hmm. This is a call to action through all of our systems. This is, this is not something that's going to be done by tomorrow, by next week. You know, when we look at these massive movements with Martin Luther King and, you know, Rosa Parks, that stuff didn't happen in two days. Mm -hmm. That stuff was 386 days, mm -hmm. months, yeah. years, weeks. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to, you know, last the, last the marathon, we got to be taking care of self, which is important. So if that means one day you got to take a break to just sit in your tub and cry, do that. Yes. But come back ready. Right. Loving yourself is a revolutionary act, especially right. in times like this. One. Especially in times like this. Mm -hmm. If that means, you know, you got to um, go for a walk in your neighborhood and especially white Detroiters. I'm talking specifically to y'all. You are in a historically black city. Mm -hmm. You are surrounded by black people, indigenous folks, Latinx folks, Asian folks. You are surrounded by the whole group of marginalized people. You go to Southwest Detroit and you go to Tequila El Rey and you get your tacos. You go to Honeybee and you get the best produce you ever got. You go down to Corktown. You know what I mean? Like you are in black spaces or marginalized group spaces. It is time for you to give back to those spaces in more ways than just frequenting their businesses and more ways than just consuming their culture and not giving thanks to that culture. Mm -hmm. You need to be fighting for them. You need to be speaking on behalf of them. I don't care if it's just a conversation you have with your racist uncle about, you know, um, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. That's the work. Mm -hmm. That is the work. The work is being uncomfortable. The work is having those conversations. The work is donating money, time, space, energy, 
that is the work. If you're a doctor, provide some free care to protesters. Mm -hmm. If you are a social worker, provide free social work care to protesters and families. If you are a owner of a, a corner store or bodega, check in with your neighbors and see which of their elderly black neighbors or elderly black marginalized groups, anybody that's non-white, non-black folks, check and see if they need some groceries for the week. You know how I get when I'm passionate, especially with a call to action. You should have known Naz. Naz over here shaking her head at me, y'all. But it's the truth. Okay, so we have the great pleasure of having with us the wonderful, the amazing, we're just, <laughs> Aisha and I are super fans. Yes. The illustrious, the illustrious <laughs> London Bell. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hello. We are so just ridiculously excited that you could take time away from being the important and essential human being that you are to talk um, to us about a lot. Of, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um so if you would be so kind as to introduce yourself to the lovely folks um telling them about you know who you are and your work and maybe even a little about uh you know why we're so lucky to know you and then mm -hmm. we're gonna hop right in um to some of the questions that we have for you okay great yeah thank you so much i'm yes. so honored and I'm so humble you know to, that you asked me to to be a part of your podcast. Thank you both. Uh, my name is London Bell and I am uh, international human rights advocate, international human rights lawyer. And I'm the founder and president of uh, Bell Global Justice Institute, which is an organization focused on empowering and um, empowering women and girls and advocating for the human rights of women and girls. And, uh, Founded in 2016, named in honor of my brother, Staff Sergeant Benson Bell, the U.S. Marine Corps, who was killed in action in, uh, on November 30th, 2011. And I'm also a member of the United Nations Association of the United States of America, which is a grassroots organization of about 20,000 members uh, across wow. the United States. Wow. Uh, and strong advocate. Uh, so we are strong advocates for the principle and work of the United Nations and for strong leadership and partnership of the United States at the United Nations. I serve on its national council uh, for the Great Lakes states. So I serve as a liaison between members in the Great Lakes states area uh, to the national office and also help to uh, shape the policy and programming um, at, at the national office. And I'm also a co-chair of their UNA Women Affinity Group, which focuses on addressing uh, human rights of women and girls uh, here at home and around the world. So uh, that's a little bit of what I do. And, a little um, bit. A little bit. <laughs> what a resume. Okay, you see those credentials, y'all? This is a, a real good conversation, okay? Uh. That's just a little bit. That wasn't a lot of it. That was a little bit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> One of my passions um, is to really talk with youth and young adults about the principles and work of the UN, uh, their human rights, international human rights, 
and how to use the international system, international mechanisms in grassroots activism. Uh, the UN has a full uh, treaty system and other mechanisms that we use for advocacy. And my passion is that every young person knows their rights uh, under international law and domestic law. So I, I yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> So. Oh, London, you're amazing. And I'm so glad that, you know, you spoke about um, wanting to make sure that young people know their rights, because I, as a person who has been out on, you know, the front lines of this protest and organizing here in Detroit, that is a big part of that process is like educating yeah. on what is allowed to be able to be done to them. Right. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with just like our place in the world, right? Of always mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, we just have to take what's given. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that's actually illegal. They can't ask you that. Mm -hmm. And no, right. that's actually like illegal. They can't touch you. They can't do this. Um, mm -hmm. You're legally allowed to fly a drone over, you know, a protest. Um, so in the state of Michigan. So, mm -hmm. wow, I'm, I'm really glad to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Aisha. I'm, I'm very happy to speak with you, too. You're doing amazing things as well. You and Nazarena mm -hmm. both. Oh, gosh. We're trying our best. You know, we all got to put our hands in the pot to get this work done. Amen. Black, white, brown, and all in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna begin. So just so everyone knows, uh, Ruth Ellis Center and London Bell. <laughs> um, have quite a history. I just wanted for you to briefly talk about some of the work that you've done with the center so that people know just how familiar you are with our organization and just how much wonderful work you've done that's positively impacted the youth that we serve here. Yes, yes. Um, well, one of the things uh, I used to work with the Ruth Ellis Center a uh, long time ago when I was actually working at Affirmations, which is uh, an LGBT community center. I was the, um, I worked as a program manager mm -hmm. at Affirmations. So I would often partner with Ruth Ellis uh, for resources uh, for young people. And mm -hmm. so that's when I was first uh, introduced to Ruth Ellis, the Ruth okay. Ellis Center. Wow. And then most recently, uh, I worked with the Youth Advisory Board, mm -hmm. uh, your Youth Advisory Board, and that began, I think, in 2018, where they they had monthly or biweekly meetings, mm -hmm. and I actually met with them once a month to talk about um, different uh, ways of advocacy and, you know, facilitating workshops on the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments of the U.S. Constitution, mm -hmm. um, the, the workings of the United Nations, um, advocacy one-on-one. -on -one. One -on -one. We also spoke about how Congress uh, works and in, in ways to um, pass laws, uh, the importance of building relationships with your law and policy makers. Mm -hmm. um, and we even had um, different um, members of the community come in. We had uh, Rashida Tlaib was a guest speaker before she became uh, Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib. So that was that was a really fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so fun that day. We even yes. had a representative from Senator Senator Peters' office come. Wow. Uh, we, you know, uh, Liliana Reyes was one of our first. She was our first guest, mm -hmm. and she spoke to the young people about grassroots movements and so every month for about six or seven months i enjoyed so much it was the most fun 
I had in, you know, in a long time um, mm -hmm. working with the youth advisory board and just having those dialogues, you know, mm -hmm. and I learned a lot about uh, our young people and the things that are concerning to them, their dreams. Um, one, one young person told me she wanted to run for office. You know, there were um, young people that wanted to, you know, start businesses. You know, one of the things that I know we don't always ask young people right. what it is, how they want to lead. You know, right. we're always telling them. And so right. I just, I, I listened and yes. I learned a lot from them. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually, uh, Ruth Ellis Center was so gracious. Uh, Jerry Peterson uh, was so gracious. Uh, he, they actually sponsored uh, 12 youth and young adults from the Ruth Ellis Center wow. to the United Nations. We wow. went to the United Nations uh, in, Jan in uh, February of 2019 to the United Nations Association's Global Engagement Summit. Mm -hmm. And it was just so powerful. There were about 1,500 people uh, in the UN General Assembly Hall, and our young people were there. And this we're was a very there. special uh, event because the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, was also in the room wow. as well, which is rare, which is very rare. Right. So they had a chance to see him in person. It was That's a amazing. fun weekend. Ruth yeah. Ellis took New York. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the young people coming back um, to talk about like just how impactful that experience was, you know, um, and just how they felt their voices were heard. And I think that's super, super important is that when you're talking about young people, especially black LGBTQ plus, I, you know, IA plus young people, they feel like their voices are never heard. Yeah. So for them yeah. to be able to, you know, go to the UN and like actually say words and know that like, not only yeah. are people hearing you, but this is documented. You're on historical yes. records. Like yes. your, your voice is heard. Um, yeah. I think that that's so, so powerful. And, you know, we thank you so much for that opportunity for our young people as well, because that came because of you, right? And your beautiful right. work that you do, so. Thank you. You know, one per one of the young people, because we were all, we all, of course, we all went to Sylvia's, the soul food uh, restaurant right, in Harlem. Right. <laughs> we had to go to Harlem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one young person pulled me to the side, and, and she had some critiques uh, about the UN, and she wanted to talk to me about it. And I said, you know what? This is why I wanted you here, because right, right. I, we need to sit down and talk about this international entity, and we need your voice on how to make it better. So I welcome your critiques. I welcome those conversations. And the UN also welcomes those conversations. I didn't want them to feel like they just had to go and just accept, you know, what was presented to them. I wanted them to be, uh, to analyze what they saw and ways that they could see where it could improve. That's a big part of being an advocate, about right. being a change agent, right. going into institutions mm -hmm. and finding out you know, what could be done better. Right. And thank you so much for sharing that. We obviously wholeheartedly agree. Um, and to just continue on in the same vein as we're talking about this international entity, we're going to begin international and then we're going to try to bring it on home. Um, mm -hmm. So the first question that we have for you, um, and I know both Aisha and I are interested in this, mm -hmm. um, is what is so different about this incident with Mr. George Floyd, um, so different about this movement um, 
that is allowing for just the outpouring, it seems, of love and support from the international community. Yeah, you know, so many things make this so different. Um, you know, many, many of the situations that we have uh, learned about with, uh, with fellow citizens have been recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, this one seems especially heinous because of, you know, what happened to him. And, and I, I really do, and many other people also feel like it amounts also not to just, you know, murder, but also torture. Mm -hmm. Israel. Right. Wow. You know, um, it was recorded by, uh, there were several recordings. One was by actually a young person mm -hmm, who was yes. there and actually recorded it and is, is now, what I understand, feeling very traumatized, you know, from it. Right. Um, there was a lot, there were a lot of people speaking out even at the scene and oh, wow. it was ignored, you know, bystanders you know, asking for mercy for this, for this gentleman. Right. And it went unheard. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is that, you know, we live in a globalized society. And so mm -hmm. we can access information 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think people can relate a lot to this uh, situation as, as well as other situations. Because we, you know, I could see that being someone that I know. Right, easily. I think most people of color could think that could have been me. Right. What would I have done? You know, just watching it makes me feel, you know, scared. We, we live in a different world today. We live in a different world where uh, people, young people in particular, don't want to live in a world where there's racism and sexism and homophobia mm -hmm. and transphobia. And, and they're demanding, young people are demanding a change. I think that's what's different. Mm. Yeah. one of the reasons why it's different yeah mm -hmm. and it's like you know it, when you say that it always reminds me I, I think a lot of the conversations that have been going on about like the just the power of young people like even hearing from like my own mother and my own aunts just saying like you know we were told to sh like sit, sit down and shut up like, yeah you know what i mean and we made this world a place where you didn't feel like you had to and so now mm -hmm. because they all that work that they did on you know making sure we felt like our voices deserve to be heard is why i think also contributes big big to this as well um mm -hmm. and it's just you know like you said when you touched on the point about torture like i think the image that still is like burned in my head is the fact his hands was in his pockets and it's yes. just like how could you have felt threatened with your hands in your pockets yeah like exactly. you were walking in a park somewhere yeah and this man was crying for his mother Yes. So I yes. think that that just shook me to my core. And that's why, like, you know, I think it shook a lot of people to their core when that. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that there's been a lot of like conversation on why, you know, folks weren't this up in arms about Breonna Taylor. But that's also a case that haunts me as well as a black yes. woman who has a legal firearm that is right next to my bed. Mm -hmm. Right. That could have easily been me. If someone yeah. breaks into my house, that that's my first reaction. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think you you are spot on with just saying like so many of us have are seeing ourselves in these people um, mm -hmm. that we've lost, and I think that even when it comes to you know non-black folks, um, I think the the pandemic really kind of put us on a level playing field where everyone feel is feeling this sense of like you know mortality, and so they yes. were able to say, whoa, that's not right. Yeah, sense that of is mortality. not right. 
sense of urgency, yeah. you know, a sense of also feeling like, again, this is happening again. It's 2020 mm-hmm. and right. we're still protesting. We're still seeing these things on video. Mm-hmm. You know, people are still suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think people are also really tired, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, really tired and, and just, just, I feel exhausted. Oh yeah. <laughs> just knowing these you know these things are are happening mm-hmm. and by today is brianna taylor's birthday yes oh, she'll be wow. 27 today yeah right. you know so yeah. it's just it's so heartbreaking yeah. yeah and i think i think people of all cultures relate can relate to this yeah you know yeah mm. uh, so totally appreciate that response and so um in that same vein um when you think about you know your colleagues in 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 different countries and i'm sure that you've had conversations with them about this um, what are some perspectives internationally like what are what are the views that you know people from you know these other spaces especially where the un and where you do your work um, what are they saying? How how are how are they feeling about what they're seeing um, of our experience here? Yeah, I have a friend uh, who lives in South Africa, um, and we communicate um, periodically. And he, you know, whenever there are situations like what's happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, I, you know, I often you know hear from him and. I think it's just, they're wondering like, why, what's going on over there? Like, that's the question I get. Right, right. What, what's happening over there? Like, I remember a long time ago, uh, we were talking about him coming to visit and he asked me, would I be safe there? Wow. And yeah. I, that was very profound for me because, you know, America is known around the world as the place of hope, as a place of freedom. You know, no one has ever asked me from mm-hmm. abroad if it would be safe to come here to visit. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I I didn't really have an answer for him mm-hmm. because, you know, in addition to, um, uh, you know, these these unarmed, you know, officer involved situations with unarmed extrajudicial killing and, you know, um, brutality, there are also mass shootings, you right. know, that have happened so often in this country. And mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't promise him that he would be safe right. being here. And I, that bothers me. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what I'm hearing from people. What, what's going on mm-hmm. is what I'm hearing from people. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how to answer that, right. you know, right. unfortunately. Yeah, because it's everything. Right. Like yeah. everything's happening. Everything's happening. It's yeah. like the whole place is on fire. We're right. just sitting here like this is fine, but we're not. We're sitting here like this is not fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I've you know, I, I've thought about, you know, wouldn't it be nice right now to maybe visit somewhere else? Um, but it's not perfect everywhere else either. Right, so, we live in a really anti-black world, very much, um, and that's why you know I not to like be asking all these additional questions. <laughs> okay, but, um, that like something you said really um, just got me thinking and really resonated with me because you said that you know people look at the United States as a uh, a, a place of hope, and so 
I guess, I don't know if you, I don't know if we could even answer this question, you know, but um, it's just like, I wonder how, whatever happens here, how that will set the precedent for all these other places, right? Because we know the, the, the world is a very anti-Black world, but we also know that the world looks at the United States as a kind of an example of what yes. policies that they should be making, how democracy looks. And so I think that that puts even more pressure on us as American citizens alone to make sure we do right by Black people and by Black folk, period, because yeah. all eyes are on us. And if we cannot yes. drop the ball on this, because you got people who are black Brazilians, you have people who are yes. you know, black Indians. And so it's just like their lives also matter. And yes. saying now here in the U.S., like we are not only saying black lives matter, but we are implementing things in our constitution. We are implementing things within our legislation that is going to say and protect black lives. Because I yeah. think that's the biggest part of that. It's like, we can say Black Lives Matter, but are we doing what it takes to protect those Black lives so they matter? Exactly, exactly. Now, the one thing I can say is that um, though America itself is really struggling with Black Lives Mattering and really struggling with its, its, its obligations to international standards, international mm -hmm. laws and policies and standards, mm -hmm. civil society, me and you and other activists and, and, and organizations in the international world, we call them NGOs, right. um, nonprofits. We are really on the ground. There is so much work being done. We're doing the work right now, having this conversation. You're doing the work right now at the Ruth Ellis Center. And the world is also watching that as well. They mm -hmm. also know that young people in this country are going out and they're protesting and they're standing up to government officials and, you know, uh, law enforcement. I've seen photos of them just standing up and, right. and even during a pandemic, okay. you know, and so the world is also watching that as well. Right. And I know that people are um, definitely heartened and, and feel hope. Mm -hmm. because of the movement in the mm -hmm. local communities. Mm -hmm. So, um, and just an example, uh, back in, let's see, 20, I think that was 2013 or 2014 when uh, Michael Brown was killed mm -hmm. um, in Ferguson, right. the uprisings in Ferguson. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States was also that same year, in fact, about two months later, were uh, was supposed to, was scheduled to appear before the uh, international Treaty on uh, Ending Racial Discrimination. Mm -hmm. And I actually uh, followed along with that, um, that during that time, there were a 100 reports, about 100 reports or even more that were sent to the United Nations to be considered during the time the U.S. was supposed to appear on you know different human rights issues including uh race discrimination and you know officers wow. are involved you know um uh you know brutality and killing and so that civil society working together to ensure that the un is properly informed about what's happening on the ground and people mm -hmm. around the world are paying attention to that yeah okay um and very sort of related to that, are these countries also, you know, taking a mirror to, up to themselves 
thinking about the transgressions that they have against, you know, certain minority populations in their, given their, you know, social and cultural history. Do you see that happening, the reflection piece? Mm. Not as much as I would like. Mm. There, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. Um, there, you know, right now we, we still have a large number of refugees um, around the world, people who are internally displaced, mm. uh, people who are stateless. We have the largest group of um, refugees, internally displaced and stateless people around the world since World War II. Ooh. And so that's an indication that um, people who are minority and mm -hmm. identify with certain religions and cultures mm -hmm. and ethnicities are, are still not being recognized and treated uh, fairly and humanely. Mm -hmm. And so, no, there is still work that other countries still need to do. Mm -hmm. The good thing is these conversations are taking place at the United Nations uh, in, different, in different forums. So it's happening mm -hmm. in New York, um, it's happening in Geneva, it's happening, you know, all over. And, and member states are coming together. Society is coming together. And we're having these conversations. But there's still work that global governments need to do. Right. right. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, I guess, really to take up that same mirror, right? Because um, none of these entities are above critique, right? right? To take up that same mirror when we think about how all of this pertains um, as intersections meet for LGBTQ plus or LGBTI lives um, in this region. Mm. It seems, you know, as Aisha spoke of, Aisha very eloquently talked about sort of um, before we began the lack of support that we're seeing um, for black for black lives that also happen to have the additional identity of yes. LGBTQ plus or LGBTI. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna ask everyone to, if we're gonna expect for everyone else to give us our humanity and our dignity, right, 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 then how can we, in the same vein, ignore? the experiences and the plight, not just of what LGBTQ, like Black LGBTQI people have to endure on a daily basis from the majority of the population, but mm -hmm. within our own community. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Right? So yeah. it's like, I mean, how, like what kind of mental gymnastics take place? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Girl. I mean, because I have to ask, I have to ask, like, what, yeah. it's just like, with all of this support it's been pretty sweeping in terms of like yeah. black people stepping up and saying our lives absolutely matter yeah yeah it's really it's 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 one of the biggest uh i'm exhausted you know from that as well mm -hmm. uh, the black community you know we are strong in and are are you know, mobilizing each other mm -hmm. and getting out there on the front line but there are still you know, there's still some um, dis disconnection, mm -hmm. and there there's a there is a lot of bias. There are a lot of judgments. Um, people still people in the black community still consider um, other black people as the other, mm, right. and it's 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 very disheartening. And it's it's the, one of the things that's going to keep us from really 
getting to the place that we need to be. Right, right. When we don't uh, accept, you know, black people, people of color in all of our intersections, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's the LGBT uh, QI community. Uh, there's the, you know, uh, people living with disabilities who are differently able. I live with yes. a disability and you'd be surprised of how far how often I get left behind and have to fight for a seat at the table, even as a woman fighting for a seat at the table. And it's, it's hard. It's hard being Mm -hmm. living with our different intersections and really believing that these movements are are sincere about making sure we all move forward. And so that's why it's important that both of you, uh, myself and, you know, other um, black Americans, people of color, you know, continue to demand a seat at the table. And even if you're by yourself, even if you're alone in that moment mm-hmm. to, to speak up as an ally of the LGBTI human rights, global human rights movement and LGBTI community, I still get cornered right. and, oh. and questioned about why, 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 why can you explain? Can you, well, it's not against, it's against this. It's like, sit down. Uh Right. I've had to really, you know, really get people together. I don't Mm. have a problem doing it. Right. Gather them. (laughs) Gather (laughs) them. You know, but it's like, why am I still doing this in 2020? Right. You know, and as long as we're doing that, we still have a long way to go internally. Right. Yeah. And that's just, and we're talking really about, like, for those of you who, who may not identify as a person of African descent, as a Black person, um, this really is sort of an inside perspective that you're receiving yeah. from our community. We're not even talking about the issues that we have outside of our community, right? Right. which really is people who identify other than Black, for instance. This is, this mm-hmm. is an in-group critique, an in-group yeah. discussion amongst black people Mm -hmm. yes yes and i say it with all love because right you know what i you if you want to have that discussion we can have that discussion right you're gonna you're gonna get get together we're gonna get you together okay we're gonna leave you with some things to think about right i'm always open to having a discussion i just wish i didn't have to right And I, I, I get that, like, in my soul deep, London, because, mm-hmm. listen, I've been out here educating white folk, black folk, non-black mm-hmm. folk, and one thing that, like, a lot of my friends always say is, don't you get tired of, like, explaining yourself? And it's like, no, because I'm tired of dying. So it's either I'm going to yeah. explain myself or I'm going to die. Yeah. And it kind of, like, you know, when I'm in these groups and I'm having to get pushback on people you know not wanting to include another part of my identity which is my yeah or my queerness yeah. it makes me so angry and then mm-hmm. I have to like kind of like take a step back and remind myself how can they think that my queer identity matters when they're being told every day that because of their skin color they don't matter exactly so I think that that is going to be a big component to us even being able to address these other intersections because yeah. if you, you know, before people see me as a queer woman, they see me as black, exactly. you know, before they see mm-hmm. me as anything, before they sometimes even see me as a woman, because mm-hmm. I don't always dress like, you know, quote unquote feminine. Sometimes mm-hmm. they just see me as black. So mm-hmm. I can't then ask my community to say, well, I know that, you know, you walk through this world as a cis hetero, you know, person 
and your biggest fear is being black and you try and you're trying to survive off of that and trying to survive mm-hmm. through that but i also need you like yes i feel like we can hold them accountable but at the same time i feel like we also need to come from a you know ruthellis is big on that right not demonizing folks and making sure we're meeting folks where we are exactly. but also recognizing that like when you have one identity, you know, like it's kind of like when you got a headache and a stomach ache, you know, mm-hmm. your head is hurting you bad yeah. and your stomach yes. is hurting you bad, but you can only really address one at a time. Yes. And unfortunately, that is the ugly reality of it. Yeah. And I think that because we have never gotten to address like this pure violence and the pure mm-hmm. torture that mm-hmm. is happening just off of our color of our skin. Yeah. So that's why people haven't even been able to get to the intersections because we're yeah. even talking about black mental health yet. Right. And how I know. folks don't even want to go to a therapist to talk right. about, yeah. you know, just that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they're too busy trying to survive off of their basic identity of being black. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the saddest part about this for me is you know, the the movements, the organizations that have not been welcoming to um, you know. Uh, black uh, queer uh, activists and look at the people that they miss out on look at the brilliance that that might be the key might be the answer that's not at the table it's so true you know it's it's a loss really to the movement Mm -hmm. if everyone is not there Mm because you just don't know who's going to be there and make that difference Mm-hmm. You just touched, and that's on the it. message oh. I want people to. Yeah, I want more organizations and more, you know, people in civil society to really understand that. Yes, mm-hmm. that was a whole you know, word right there, London, because that is true. You're, you're, you, uh, that just like almost made me get a little teary eyed because, like, that was a whole reason why I was just like, well, I'm gonna do it by myself because if you ain't exactly. gonna let me in, I just gotta do it on my own. Exactly. One example I'll have is when we were at the UN for the Global Engagement Summit, um, you know, we, there were different breakout sessions. One was on uh, women and girls, and there were international NGOs on a panel, and there were two questions that were so profound. And I was sitting on the other side, there were 500 people in the room, me, my mom, Pamela, we were sitting on one side of the room. And I heard one uh, woman ask about girls uh, living with disabilities, uh, how they are included in this global movement for mm-hmm. hu- human rights for g- girls. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the softest, most beautiful voice. It was Amara uh, mm-hmm. from Ruth Ellis Center who asked wow. about how you know, this movement is including trans girls. Yes. And I, I'm just like, I almost, I just busted out in tears, you know, yeah. because I was so proud of her. There were 500 people in the room and she asked that question. I've been to the UN, uh, been to the Global Engagement Summit uh, several times. I've never heard anyone ask that question. So right. really she had not been there that day. I know. I to know. spark that discussion oh, such a crucial voice that gave right. me chills that gave you me know? chills literally so, i mean and so i guess when we're thinking about all of this and i'm sure like i want to know I, and I, I feel like most people want to know it's like from within the community and even outside of the our specific community like what does accountability look like Ooh, yes. I, I mean, that because that's what I, I, I always want to know, even for myself, like when you have to ask, even in, in every relationship that you have, 
accountability is so so important yes you know Account- and so- yeah it looks like it looks like people uh standing up and asking those difficult questions it looks like uh people being made to feel uncomfortable when they are not being completely transparent and inclusive of all voices that need to be at the table to move the to move the movement forward mm-hmm. it takes uh courageous uh people from uh intergenerational uh dialogues and intercultural dialogues to say this is not okay and i'm willing to be at the table to make sure it's okay okay because it's mm-hmm. it's more than just challenging these the structure it's actually being there, staying there to make sure the structure is changed. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important for young people, particularly to be at the table when policies and laws are being created that impact all of us. It's important to be at the table. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I stress uh, to young people. It's one of the things I talked with um, Ruth Ellis Youth Advisory Board about consistently. Um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted them to go to the UN. And I think after Amara had a chance to ask her question, I think, you know, they, you know, yeah, yeah, we need to be at these tables because no one else was going to be there. No one else was thinking about that until they got there and, and, and brought it up until she Mm -hmm. brought it up. Um, and I use myself as an example. I, work hard to try to hold entities accountable, which is the reason why I'm, I'm at the table when policies are being discussed. I try to be at the tables as much as possible. Um, and just for an example, I do have a concern about law enforcement right. and, our, and its relationships with communities of color. Mm-hmm. That, that really does concern me. So you know what I did? Tell us. I was invited by the FBI to join their FBI Citizens Academy, right? I know you're looking at me and you're like, what? <laughs> yes, last year I was nominated to, um, you know, to join. I was accepted into the program. And it was, first of all, it was the best experience I've had in a wow. long time. We got a chance to, there were about what, 30 of us? Every Wednesday from six to eight, uh, we got a chance to, me and other community leaders got a chance to go to the FBI Detroit office. We went inside and it was all like serious. We had to go through security and all oh that. My so it was goodness. really important. <laughs> really important. <laughs> and we spent two hours. They provided dinner. That was one reason alone. Uh, right. Feed, feed the people. Yeah. <laughs> you got them working. And we actually uh, spent time with FBI agents every week and learned about one of the, you know, different areas that they were working in, in health law, and yeah, and investigating um, uh, hate crimes, and, you know, they did presentations, and, you know, it was, it was the most, first of all, it was the most fun I'd had all year, and it was about six weeks, and I got to know them, and the work that they do, and how they do investigations, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that they have asked us to do is to be a liaison and to help them build relationships within, uh, within our respective communities. So whenever, uh, I just had a call with them back in April 
where they had all of us um, advocates on the phone from different communities and asked us, you know, how we were doing with COVID-19. How was it impacting our communities? Just the other day, I got a letter from the special agent in charge reassuring us that they take what happened to Mr. Floyd very seriously. Okay. And they are committed to, you know, doing a full thorough investigation. And so I feel like being at that table, even though I get the same look from folks, <laughs> helps me to be a part of the change. So I know that if there's a conversation that needs to be had, if there is some accountability that needs to be had, I know that I have access to them okay. and I have access right. to, you know, bring those concerns to them. Right, right. To me, that's a part of being held, holding institutions accountable. Yes, right. You have to have an inside man, and that's just kind of, or inside woman, or inside person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you have to have an inside person because, like, at the end of the day, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. Um, they're not listening to me, but maybe they're going to listen to somebody who they let in the room, you know? And so I think that that's important to acknowledge as well is that, like, especially when it comes to like our allies and people who want to support us, they're all, at least what I've been getting from my like friends and colleagues and all that is like, I want to stand with you. And I'm like, I want you to stand with me too, but just not in the same room because I'm getting to the people I need to get to in this room. Right. I need you to go sit in the rooms I can't get into. Yes. Yes. Um, and so since you at the room with the FBI, all right, I have a question that I want you to bring to them. Okay. And that question is Let me write this down. Yes. Because this is a question that's been on my mind since I was a little baby. And I just don't understand how white supremacist groups are legally allowed to be groups, but y'all can't, but we can't have bloods and crips and actual gangs because you say that they incite violence, but KKK and Proud Boys and Anifta, they, inc they incite a lot of violence and they, don't, they got a lot of blood on their hands. They don't drag mm -hmm. our people behind them in pickup trucks, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's what I have for the Mr. FBI. <laughs> if I want to yes. know... When are we going to stop those groups from being able to be able to legally do the things that they're doing? Because we are allowing them to legally kill people. Yes. That is what is happening. They yes. are not just meeting to talk about their values and what, no. You could do that anywhere else. You don't need to do that with a robe hiding your face. Because obviously, if you're hiding your face, you got something to hide. And yes. I want you to not be able to hide nothing. So thank yes. you, London. If you could please take that kindly to the FBI people. I will. <laughs> I, I will. I'm seriously, I don't wrote it down. One of the things I can say is that the FBI has done a lot of internal work. There's been a lot of, you know, advocacy, activism around the structure of uh, the work that they do. And they, they've been doing the work. They actually have uh, Citizens Academy programs across the country. There is a network of citizens who work very closely with them. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, mo part of it, it has been a result of, you know, what's happened earlier in the 20th century and throughout the 20th century, the relationship the FBI has had with, you know, communities of color, particularly black communities. There has been a lot of discussion happening and it still needs to go on. So I, yes, one of the things that I know, cause I asked them when I was in my class, you know, I had to ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, about 
you know, these, these different groups. And, and in a nutshell, they explained to me, of course, I know uh, about First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. So some of that does surround issues of First Amendment rights. Um, and then there are what's developed, you know, over the years, the hate crimes law, right. you know, hate crime laws. So there have been developments. It's just still not perfect, but that is an absolutely wonderful question that yeah. I will ask. Because I support anybody being able to speak their truth. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you don't have to like me. People have not, you don't have to like me for the color of my skin. People have not right. liked me for less. That's fine. But my right. issue is when it becomes, you are trying to hinder my growth and my security yeah. and my life mm -hmm. because you don't like me now. Now yes. we have a problem. And mm -hmm. like, that's where I was kind of confused at because I'm like, I know they have freedom of speech, but like, do they also have the freedom to like incite violence? Do they also have like, a pass to kill because no. if we have a hate crime law ain't that a hate group like hate crimes come from hate groups yeah i mean you would I, think I, the, I think the so. very yeah. origin or right. the very fact that a hate group mm -hmm. exists is in itself a hate crime right yeah and so that's so you would but it's not right <laughs> but you know we got we got um that's why we have you our, right we got london here our lawyer yeah. ready ready to let them know. Yes. And the <laughs> next time, because we I do gather, one. we do gather with them periodically. And yes, our next uh, conversation discussion, I will ask them that question. Okay. We and are... they, they have, they are very open to having these discussions. Our special okay. agent in charge, he's very open to it. So he'll, he'll get us an answer. Yes. Okay. That's what, and you know, if you need backup, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who may be anticipating that answer or the response from that special agent mm -hmm. <laughs> on a later episode, we will be sure to update. That's right. To reach mm -hmm. out back to the illustrious London Bell uh, for those answers. Because yeah. I, I too am interested to know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my absolutely. gosh. Wow. Well, London, yeah. this this conversation was way more than I could have ever asked for. You know, we always, yeah. you know, whenever we get together, it's always a great conversation. You always yes. spark so much in our minds, either it's the minds of our young people, our staff, our colleagues, um, and we really, really appreciate that. You know, you, you are really a person that is doing the work. Um, and one thing that I just wanted to highlight that you said before we get out of here is something you said really resonated with me and I want to make sure that, you know, folks listening to this podcast also hear, make sure they hear you when you said that is there are folks that are on the ground doing the work and then there are folks that are doing the work in other ways. Yes. We have to show up in all of those ways. Yes. The work is not just going to be the people that are at the forefront, you know, yeah. and granted we give them a lot of props because props because they're taking a lot of hits physically yeah. and emotionally and mentally. So we yeah. give them props but know that there are ways that are in the behind the scenes that we still have to do too. And there's still people that need yeah. to show up in those ways too. Yeah. Even if it's having a conversation with your racist uncle, you know, yeah. that yeah. might be work that you didn't even know you needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if I can offer one last thought, um, yes, please. two quick little thoughts. Um, you know, I, I've always been really shy and introverted. Most people may not even realize that, but I am. Yeah. And I've always wondered, like, when I, especially when I was younger, like, I don't, I can't do this. I don't, I don't know. I'm not Malcolm X. I'm not, you know, Ida B. Wells. I can't, 
Uh, what I want people to know, particularly young people, is that there is a space for you, mm. no matter if you're shy, no matter if you're introverted, no matter if you're homebound, no matter if you mm. never, you know, called your congressman or congresswoman, there's a space for you. Right. Your voice is important. No matter how you want to bring your voice, it is important. And with that, I just wanted to share a final quote by Harriet Tubman, which I really, really just cling to during these kind of days. It's about finding the leader within. And she says, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars and change the world. That's for every single person who wants to do this work. There is a space for you. Yes. Dang, Linda, you got me in tears right now. <laughs> you know I'm a Pisces and I cry all the time. I'm a Pisces too. <laughs> Default. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure that every young person, every person that watches our podcast and our discussion knows that there is a space. Start from where you are. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is such a nugget of knowledge. I'm going to carry that in my soul. They need to put that on PBS, just running. Okay. That should be the name mm -hmm. of the episode. Every, every 10 seconds, just so, mm -hmm. yeah, seriously, so that, I mean, everyone really needs to understand that there, yes, there is a space for you. It's literally why, I mean, if you want to just bring it back to the origins of the center, this is why this space exists. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is. Yeah. I I really enjoy this has made my whole day, my whole week. Uh, Thank you so too. much. Yes. Thank you. Us too. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Y'all, y'all giving us a work. lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, you got me feeling so full too, because it's just like, huh, it's hard, you know, like you yeah. said tired and it's just mm -hmm. like sometimes it just feels like you know am I doing enough like can I do more and then like I was even feeling guilty this weekend because I was just like I need a break like I need to just sit yeah. down and like sleep and breathe and like yeah I gotta say she is on a team like I think at this I've come to a point where like I'll fight her husband <laughs> you know what I'm saying like it's like you have you're on a team with like people who could argue like I love you as much as this person like mm -hmm. if you tired you just you have to say so and that's yeah. another thing about this movement I, mm -hmm. I I love because I don't think people realize and, and we're gonna talk about it later on for sure people decided because there is still a pandemic ongoing yes there is that's not over it's not no. over People have decided that they're going to put their bodies on the line regardless. Yes. yes. They're like, COVID might take me out. The police might take me out. The military might take me yes. out. But this is something that I need to do. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, like, that's part of what makes all of this different. Yes. And, you know, that, it's, right. it's happening around the world. Right. And be encouraged that the world is watching what's happening to Black Americans, but the world is also watching what we're doing about it mm. on the ground every day. And I must say, I sit at home on my couch and I'm watching the news. I'm watching the protesters because I can't be out there physically, you know, but I feel so good and safe knowing that there are young people, young people have taken the lead on this. So I'm like, 
All right, y'all. Yes. <laughs> you know, right. I'm so proud of I'm so proud of our young people. I'm so proud of you all. Thank you. you. Know, thank you. We're so, so proud of you, London. And thank you for this immense amount of knowledge as well. Thank you. It's my we, pleasure. We, we love you. Thank you so much. I love y'all too. For my providing this opportunity. Just allowing, just allowing us the space mm. to have a, this amazing conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. And anytime, let me know. Okay. Mm. All right. Y'all take care, okay? You too. All right. Bye-bye. So I have with me, of course, my wonderful community engagement manager. Go ahead and say your name. Hi, y'all. It's me, Aisha. And we are joined by the amazing Kaylee Scales, who is now, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Black Lives Matters Global Network Managing Director. Yes. And it's awesome. Kylie. It's awesome. Kylie, which everybody says Kaylee, but it's Kylie. <laughs> Oh, okay. See, even I should know better. Okay, so you said <laughs> Kylie, right? Kylie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that is um, my correct role. Yeah. Yeah. I should know better because I've known this lovely hum human for, I've, it's been years, but it's it's been years. We've been apart for just as long, right? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So I'm just really thankful to you for accepting this, um, this interview with us. Um, it's just amazing to be able to catch up with you and yeah. learn more about not only um you know your partnership with this amazing organization but just you as a human being i would love for our listeners to learn more about this amazing person who is now a part of this awesome organization so kylie when you're ready take it away <laughs> well first thank you so much for inviting me i'm so happy to have this conversation i'm so happy to reconnect um we have known each other for a long time and at the minute of course like the minute you reached out i was like yeah and so i'm really excited to be back in conversation with you and see all the amazing things that you're doing for this incredible organization so again thanks for ask even asking me no, thank um, you. <laughs> so I've been, you know, in this, uh, in this social, so, this, um, this like world of social justice and progressive organizations um, for a few decades now. It's been a while. It's really the, you know, how I cut my teeth is really the first thing I've ever done. And the, the thing that really made my soul connect with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, myself and how I knew that this was really just social justice work and progressive work was what I was supposed to do. So I'm from New York and anyone who's from New York knows that New York is highly political. Mm -hmm. um, you can't like grow up in New York and not be politicized. Mm -hmm. Like it's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, so um, my political awakening came um, probably, you know, when I was in my teens and um, I worked for an organizer for, um, the Working Families Party. I grew up in the time of um, Amadou Diallo and, you know, uh, Crown Heights and things in New York City that were highly motivating um, for Black people to really have a voice. Um, and so, again, I started working for the Working Families Party and we were trying to get folks on the ballot and it was, we were hitting these streets and as you were saying, boots on the ground, like it was 
intense. Um, and it really sparked this desire in me to um, continue this work um, in, in multiple different ways, but to really continue this work. And um, so right after that, I started working for um, a, on the ground, I met a local person running for office um, and he asked me, and I started volunteering on his campaign as well. Um, and then he asked me to kind of like come on board and work for him full time as a fundraiser. It was my first opportunity and work in fundraising and in development work. And, but it was a very different grass, it was, it was grassroots, it wasn't fancy you know we didn't call ourselves development professionals we're like the fundraiser <laughs> and so it was really um it was super grassroots and it was one of those I tell people all the time it was one of those which organizers know and folks on the ground know it was 24 7 seven days a week if I had to take time off to do my laundry I was pissed I was like what I they need me you know like it was one of those moments yeah. mm -hmm. um and uh, so I did that and, and, you know, it was a very hard race. We, we were running again. It was like very spiritual and it really ignited passion because we were this like um, incumbent, you know, little engine that could, that was uh, running against this big Democrat insurgent. And it was like this really big deal. And ultimately we didn't, we weren't successful, but we did a really good job of making an impact in the community and raising a good deal of funds and really showing people that there was an alternative to what they'd, they'd known, business as usual, etc. Um, after that, I was like, I'm just gonna be doing this forever. Like, I'm gonna be yes. working. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna be close to the ground. Like, I'm gonna be right here. And Barry, um, who was the person that I ran, uh, that I worked for, was like, I need you to go out and, um, I need you to go out into the world. I, I didn't know why. He, he actually was the person that led me to the role in the first place. So I was like, oh, I guess I should listen. He's like, I'm gonna need you to go out there into the world and build organizational um, uh, acumen, like how to build an organization, understand organizations, go work for big organizations, well-resourced organizations, and bring it back. That's what he said to me. Uh, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't wanna do that. And, um, but, but he was like, I need you to do this. He's like, you can come back anytime, but we need you to build your arsenal. We need you to know yeah. how to run things and to develop in a way that is going to enhance the work. We need you to help do that. And I was like, and so um, then I started uh, working for different types of organizations. So first was Muscular Dystrophy Association and the Boys and Girls Club. We met at an organization called Engender Health. Mm -hmm. um, I started working um, globally. I worked for the Queen of Sweden as her fundraiser and, and, and national director. Um, so eventually I traveled and, and then I started working for startups, economic, and, and then I started getting like all this experience, so economic development organizations, climate change organizations, women's health organizations, after school programming, you know, it just started adding up and it started to become um, a part of who I, my being, like I just started mm -hmm. to really connect with the work and understand how to move things forward. I worked at every single level. Um, I, I've been, I've worked in 14 different countries all over the world. Uh, I worked with heads of state, you know, top CEOs. And then I've also worked close to the ground. So I started to develop this experience that was unique. And then, um, so I ended up working at um, a pretty well-established uh, organization, just kind of resting and um, training executive directors and development professionals, giving them all of the lessons that I learned throughout uh, my career and thinking, I'm good. This is what, oh God, I, I, now I understand what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to learn all those things and come back and train people so that they can make you know, changes um, in, their, in their own uh, organizations that they're running. It's great. Um, and then, 
I, I just got a call or <laughs> I got the call, as they say, um, somehow Patrice Colors found me, I don't know. And, um, and so we, we started talking and, um, and I was just not really thinking about transitioning. I was like, I'm good. I'm ha I right. have a job. I'm doing my thing. And, <laughs> and so, and I thought that, but resting, cause I was tired, you know, like, I love that whole resting. Yeah. Right. I was resting. I was like, you know, having a, a, a self-care moment. And, um, and, and then, and so she was like talking to me about Black Lives Matter and um, where Black Lives Matter was in, in, in the world. And, you know, and, and the fact that it was a hashtag and the fact that they were, were trying to, you know, begin to develop it into an organization and really grow roots and create legacy. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, this is great, right? I have some great advice for you. Okay. For you. Uh, good luck. And, and just knowing that I, I'm like, I'm tired. Like, that's going to take a lot of work. And I'm just like, I'm chilling. Um, and then, I don't know. I just, I, when you get the call, and then somehow right. I realized that, oh, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is what, is the, this is what Barry meant. This is, this was, this was the thing. Mm -hmm. um and um so i came on board and you know i've been here for three years three <laughs> and um yeah and it's been quite a uh, i mean it's been amazing and it's been exactly what it was supposed to be um and yeah so that's a little bit about me <laughs> that was the best bits I've ever heard of anyone. So <laughs> that was thank you so much. That for was sharing. an amazing story. Yes. Uh, I'm feeling so inspired already. Uh -huh. And honestly, it's just like really sitting with me. How, how you said, like, I was tired because, like, as a person who is working with a whole bunch of organizers now for the movement, um, and we're doing a lot of grassroots grass um, works work. We're just like grassroots work. We're just we're tired <laughs> and we're just like is it okay to take time for ourselves during this you know and i can't wait for them to listen to this episode because i know like that just resonated with me so deep because i'm like oh it is okay to take time for yourself like you know we can't do this all we can't do it all we're, we're not supposed to it's not even it's not even okay mm. and i know this will sound crazy because i'm in it just like you um it is necessary because mm -hmm. it's like it's like when you're out and you're exercising and you're doing a lot of weight training and you're building your muscles and you want to work out every single day and your muscles are fatigued and you're like it's working it's doing its thing and you know i can't take a day off and then you take a day off and you lift that weight and it's like so much lighter and mm -hmm. it's just so much easier and you're like how did this be? I haven't done this in like two days. And, and I suggest you take more than two days, but you know, in the analogy, like suddenly it's like, what? I can do this. And it's because your body needs that moment to heal, to regenerate, to put all the pieces together, to get you back on track, to make sure that it knows and you know what, what choices you're supposed to make next with clear mm. minds, because we can get in it. We're in it. We're in it. And we're right. surrounded by it and we're we become an echo chamber for ourselves and it just becomes difficult to see but this is strategic work this work is for this isn't this you know i hate that phrase but this is a marathon this is for the long haul i just interviewed her specifically <laughs> verbatim <laughs> verbatim look watch watch it's just it's watch, yes watch memes and everything verbatim the marathon yeah, yeah. we yeah. got we have to we have to prepare and it's a hard lesson trust yeah. and believe 
because I am struggling with that lesson in this moment. But I had a break. I had a good break to prepare me for what needs to happen going forward. And everybody deserves, requires, just needs that break so that we can keep it going. Cause we are, we, we're, we're closer than ever, it feels like, right? But, yeah, but it we does. Got, we, we got we to cross, we got to make it, we got to get there. Right. Oh, yes. Like, that, so, yeah. I kind of like, I, you can't see my face cause it's like we're in a dark room, but I like, I'm like getting a little flush and just like a little teary eyed because like, yeah that 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 speaks volumes and so um earlier i mean you really sort of evoked this question just kind of pulled it right out of me but you know it's like how do you hold this organization so sacred and somehow separate from its like pop culture identity as like a hashtag because you're seeing all of these organizations say that like black lives matter and you just wonder to yourself like but are you living it what are the principles of this organization what what does it mean to say that like black lives matter when when it comes to the organization itself yeah that's a really great question and it's not i'm trying to think of how to answer it because um when you think about holding things sacred that's almost separate and apart from the other part of your question which Mm. was the mainstream i think what you're getting at Mm -hmm. building kind of situation Mm -hmm. because i believe and and patrice believes as we came together in this beautiful synergy of working together that um it is it's it needs both it requires both Mm -hmm. um because organizing work is simply building people power not simply but it is building people power we need people to Mm -hmm. show up We need people to do the thing. We need people to be empowered. We need people to motivate the change. People have the power. So we need people. Mm -hmm. And how a a strong movement saturates, permeates, penetrates people and inspires them and compels them and galvanizes them and mobilizes them to action as many as possible. Mm -hmm. So the cultural impact of this global phenomenon is critical to delivering the victory. So that is number one. Mm. That will always be in our sightline, that will always be important, that will always be a part of it. In order to, to affect policy, in order to affect change, you have to change the culture. Mm-hmm. And so changing the culture is a big part of the work, right? So there's mm-hmm. that. Um, then your other question is about like, how do we hold sacred and true to our values mm-hmm. and, to, and, and to what makes us uniquely us? And how do we thwart off those who co-opt or uh, present themselves who are not affiliated with that, those principles? So mm-hmm. I direct you, because I can't remember them at this moment, all of them, um, to blacklivesmatter.com where we have all of our principles and values that were established by our co-founders and early leadership, things like um, ensuring that all Black people are, that are affiliated with this movement. We alienate no one. It is all Black people. It is yeah. across all gender spectrums. It is those formerly incarcerated. It is LGBTQIA. It is um, older, younger. Every All Black people deserve a voice. Women-centered, femme-centered, like we, we with, that, with that mentality, with that spirituality, because we know once if, if Black femmes are okay, we're all okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, so we have that, that lens. And so we ensure that, um, that we are centering our principles and our beliefs. And if you hear otherwise, and folks saying otherwise, mm-hmm. that's not us. Okay, so, right. 
And so for us to be able to make sure that happens, because that happens, we have to ensure that the folks that we're working with closely, chapters on the ground that are throwing down together and have been here since the beginning and have signed on since then um, to the principles, to the values, um, are recognized as such. So that we can say, so that I we can at least say, well, they ain't it. And so on our website, we have a chapters, there are 13 at this point, um, and 13, 19 from around the globe, 20 from around the globe, um, who have signed on to these principles, who have in um, collaboration agreed to um, principles, affiliate agreement um, standards, if you will, together with us to ensure that those are the voices that we can point to and say, yes, it's, it's a vetting process. It is necessary because Folks say what folks want to say. They do. <laughs> and folks do what they want to do. And no. that's not holding these principles sacred. That's not holding this organization sacred. If any old Joe Schmo could come up and say, we are Black Lives Matter. We believe in men should be the center of everything. And, you know, women should stand back before us or femmes should be behind us while, you know, our masculine cis energy stands front and center. No, that's not us. And right. so, and so we have to ensure that we can say that's not us. And in order to do that, we have to have, we have to be clear. It's, it's, it's easier to say this is who we are than this is who we are not. Mm -hmm. So in that way, we hold our, our, our mission and our values um, and our people sacred in this moment. Mm. I love that. That's powerful. It is. Um, and I know I just have one question for you as a follow-up for that because like everything you're saying is spot on to like what my group is talking about, right? It's like removing our emotions and our rage from it and really taking a strategic planned approach to this. Um, because one of the big things that like has been on my mind is I do like a lot of community work within my community. And I'm like, okay, who's protecting our older folks in these neighborhoods? Who's protecting black businesses? Because I have not seen any full garb Ku Klux Klan members down at this protest. And that means that they're plotting and planning elsewhere. So we need to make sure that we're protecting our spaces. Um, so that's pretty much what we're focused on. But my question is like, is there like any, because I know that I'm not the only organizer struggling with this, right? Is learning how to do this, right? We all have these different skills. Like, you know, I was in recruitment, I work in development, but like, I'm good at getting people together and like really leaning on others in the group. But I really, if there was like, is there a training available that, you know, that you guys are giving for like new organizers who are just really trying to make sure that they are doing this work the right way? Um, because I know that, like you said, there's a vet process for the chapter. And um, I know, and I like, we, we talk about this a lot, right? About trying to like make sure we're not making, you know, the, the movement too academic, right? And that we're still sticking to the roots and making sure that people are still understanding us because even in my own community, people didn't even know we were protesting downtown. So that was a lot of work for me to do within the community, just letting people know that period. Yeah. Um, so yeah. is there any trainings or anything like that or just like resources that we can lean on you guys for? Yeah, well, glad you asked that. So we are part of this consortium. You, may, you probably know Movement for Black Lives, um, which is a large consortium of Black-led movement organizations. And mm -hmm. folks are throwing down in the training space it was a part, as a part of that organization. They have bold conferences. I suggest you look into bold. Um, and that is specifically to train young organizers. And so that is where you would find a lot of resources. They'll be, after this, we know, we just watched for the past, we are watching for the past two weeks, hundreds of thousands of people being politicized at the same time. 
we are watching it. So we know that we're going to have to beef up them resources. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Open call to everybody <laughs> who's listening. We need more trainings. We need more resources because we just watch, we are watching millions of people being politicized right. at the same time. We're going to be running around here trying to figure out where's my political home? How do right. I keep it going? How do mm -hmm. I answer the question? And we need to be ready. Yeah. Literally <laughs> so had a meeting. So we need more of that. We need more of your, I'm, and the other thing that I think we need are to remember that we have strategies to share with one another. So if you're talented and clear and you have particular skills in an area, you need to organize with other people who have different skills in different areas. And there's no excuse for it now because everybody's up online. We're going to get back into the world real soon, but this easy Zoom conversation. You know, this is not difficult right. <laughs> to share our strategies and to collaborate and to right. modify all of this knowledge and provide that knowledge writ large so that we can mobilize all these amazing people who are out there in these streets. Like, yes. we're about to win. Like, how do we make yes. sure that these people are soldiers? Wrong, wrong use of word, not soldiers. But how do we make sure that these people are collaborators in the liberation struggle? Right. And I love that um, you said you did the same thing I did earlier when I was interviewing because I was like, you know, we got to get ready for this war. And I was like, okay, well, not war. Okay. Right. Not me. war, but Feel we me. do got to get ready. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, this is such a pleasure talking with you. I just feel already so invigorated. Like we, it's, it's rough, right? And we're all just trying to find our place in this and find where we fit in. Not everyone could be on the front lines. Some people need to be babysitting people's kids so they could be on the front lines. Yeah, Some people right. need to be taking food to the older folks in the neighborhood. And so I think like exactly what you're saying is that we need to be sharing with one another. Um, and I think it's like, kind of difficult at the same time because everyone's trying to be very secretive because we're scared you know when black people organize we're usually met Targeted. with a lot of yeah. you know ammunition literally so a lot of us are like on secure chats and it's just like everyone's like sussing out everyone like is she real like who is this person so you know, we even had to have just like an in-person meeting just so folks felt comfortable sharing information because it was just like, no one knows who these people are. You have all these people popping up and saying, I want to join you. I want to support you. But I also know people do that to infiltrate systems too. So we, it's like trying to navigate that is so difficult right now. It really is. And, and digital security, security in general is very, very, very important. You know, for us, digital security, Black Lives Matter has been a really big deal, really big deal, um, in particular uh, in the past few years, just ensuring that we're keeping our eye on things. Because as you can imagine, Black Lives Matter gets attacked first and most yeah. um, when it comes from all these, it, all from all over the planet you know, international actors like attacking and absorbing, but we're on it. Like, you know, we have strategies. Our strategies are keeping our eyes and our ears open. When you see something, say something. So if you, or if you be very cognizant of using your social media platforms, if there are trolls or people that appear to be trolls, block them immediately. You're, you should be able to um, share when you see this with the media platform, with the social media platform. You're supposed to be able to contact Facebook very easily and contact uh, IG very easily and Twitter. Not really easy. 
So um, one thing that is on BlackLivesMatter.com, because we are really aware of this and we're aware of organizers in every organization all over the planet who deal with this because we do, we, there's a place on our website. So if you go to it, you can, if you see something, say something. So if you, and we have people who will be able to, we have a through it. We've been working really hard to get direct line of communication with social media platforms. We can disable crazy accounts and things like that. So if you ever come up upon something and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, go straight to blacklivesmatter.com. There's a place on there that says help stop disinformation. And you can, and there's a form to fill out. And if you could take screenshots, whatever you need, and we got you. So, so that's one of those areas that we know about because it happens to us a lot. Yeah. That said, we must remember, or we, we're, we need to catch up with where we are in the world in this moment. It's going to take us a minute, but we should catch up where we are in this world at this moment. And we have to be conscious of the watershed moment that we are seeing take place in, on, on this planet. And I'm not saying we just throw it all out there and we just out there in these streets embracing everybody and just like all kumbaya and there's no, there's no danger. Like, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that there's an open window. Break down that door. Yes. Break down that wall. Tear the shit down. Like, you know, this is, this is the time where fear um, should take a back seat to, yes. to victory. Like mm. we are seeing it. It's like in our, in our sight line. We cannot stop now. We cannot be afraid. We have to bust down, break it down, say the things. I say this on, when I talk to people right now, whatever you ever wanted, mm. say it. Yeah. Yes. Whatever you ever needed, want, have it, change it. When I say that to my corporate brothers and sisters, when they're just like, you know, this is so crazy because, you know, I have, you know, my whole entire career, people have not wanted to hear what I had to say. I'm like, you better march <laughs> into who they listening now. I know. You better go. sure listening. Who the CEO? Well, he better take your call. And when you go in there, you say, I want a C-suite Black person. I want that person to have an entire vertical dedicated to that person. You say it, and that's what you keep saying it until you yes. get it. Now they're listening. So you, you, we, can't, we, can't be, we can't be careful in this moment. Right. right. It is time for bold action, transformative action, radical vision, creativity, moral imagination. It is time for what our ancestors fought for. This is a yes. moment. Bring it. Have it. And that is what I have to, uh, I, we got to get there. Cause we're just like, Cause you know, we've been here listening now? Oh my God. What do we say? What do we say? Cause we've been, we've been in it. That's what I meant about taking a break. Cause we've been in it so deep, oh. so thick that we can't, we can't, we're like the dawn. <laughs> what you mean? It's still nighttime. I see the dawn. So yes. we got, we have to mobilize towards the dawn because the dawn is coming. And if, and if, and there is no, and if it isn't, but, but if we don't, it may pass us by. And what, oh. we, what, 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 what will we tell our children and our children's children about yes. this in history? Yes. Better yes. rise up. I haven't slept in two weeks. I'm not telling people not to sleep, but I'm telling people not to sleep. Oh, all right. You know, oh, I love you so much. <laughs> like, seriously, because, like, that is, like, the energy that 
that's all I'm saying that we should have. You know what I mean? Like people are listening. We need to be making our voices heard. We can't be worried about making folks uncomfortable because this is uncomfortable work. You're going to feel uncomfortable and it's about time you did. It's just like, I'm so glad that this is coming from you because I feel like it's going to resonate with so many organizers so deeply because so many of us are feeling like, well, you know, maybe we should like pull it back a little bit or I'm doing too much because that's always been our world, right? Our world has always been, I'm doing too much or I need to pull back. And I'm like, no, do more. We need to do all the things. more. Do all the things. I don't know how to stress this enough. I don't know how to, here's how I'll stress this enough. Um, many people have given their lives, but we watched, all of us, our children watched a man be, be murdered, murdered. And it was the brutality of his murder Hands and the fact that he that he resorted to to his infant self calling for his deceased mother to bring us to our knees we owe it to him and to every other person before him to do all the things because that's what he gave us he sacrificed his life for this moment and if we do not do all the things then we have a lot of explaining to do to him Exactly. He has given us that. And Brianna did, and, and Ahmad did, and Jane Sean did, and Nina did, and Sandra Bland did, and Tamir Rice did, and Mike Brown did, and everybody did. And if this is not our moment to say we honor you, mm. the least we can do is feel uncomfortable in this moment. Right. <laughs> and that's why these people have passed in vain. I keep saying that. Like that is the not have these people pass in vain. And, and the other like, thing, yeah. And the other thing, I'm sorry, and, and the other thing to remember is that we are talking we are having these conversations right now. I'm in these rooms talking about defund the police, bold and un unapologetic. And if I had uttered the words defund police 15 days ago. People will be looking at me 15 days ago. People be looking at me like, what's she talking about? But <laughs> 15 days later, people are like, tell us more. What does that right. mean? Yes. How do we do that? What does it look like? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you draw us a diagram? I'm like, actually, yes. Let me get my Sharpie. Yes. What do you need from me to tell you? Because I need you to say it with me. You know? Like, that, that's, how, that's where we are right now. That's where we are. That's how I know the sacrifice. Mm our young kings, our kings, our queens have made in this moment. I know the sacrifice they have made because they have made it for us right now. Yes. We're going to be uncomfortable. We need to get over it. That's all. This sounds like the only way to live, though. I mean, aside from organizing, it's like demand your seat at the table. Yep. You know and how don't how let anyone tell you no. You know <laughs> how to always it's our moment. Living out loud, showing yeah. up as your fullest and authentic fullest. self and having everyone else feel uncomfortable. That's your problem. That sounds very personal. If you are offended by how I'm showing up in this world, that has all to say about you and nothing to say about me. Ask for everything. Ask for everything and receive everything. Yes. Mm. That's our destiny. That's what we deserve. Period. Mm. Period. Period. I don't know. I think that's a really beautiful way yeah. to let you continue on your Yes. Day. That was I a know. word. That it was a word. word. I mean, very like sermon. Like I'm going to be listening to this probably like every 30 minutes <laughs> for the foreseeable future. I'm already ready to go out tonight. When I need like a boost, <laughs> an internal boost. 
I'm just like, oh, honey, you don't feel like cooking? And then I'm just going to put you on and be like, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Kyrie. So, <laughs> so, so much. This was invigorating. This was inspirational um, and just so affirming in so many ways um, to hear this come from you, especially. Um, I, I'm so full of gratitude and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing um and just holding space for us you know i i just really 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 appreciate that well thank you both again for asking me i'm just so happy that i could in any small way <laughs> this help, keep this, help keep this going because we got it's time yeah yes. this are... is not a dress rehearsal put on your shoes you Stop. are and you continue to be yes. this amazing bright light <laughs> and mind you, like, I didn't have you for very long, right? Like, I didn't have you for very long. Probably weeks. Weeks. Yeah. Is that it? Right? It, it really wasn't that long because, like, I, what is it? I left in, like, January. I had that month gone when I was in Africa. Like, I, <laughs> like, I had you just, I mean, I really had her for just, like, such a short time. But you made such an impact on me because like look at me i found myself like i left for healthcare, and where am i i'm back in development mm -hmm. i'm back here doing this amazing work um <laughs> yeah and yeah i think it probably is in part because of you making well, me feel whatever like small, i'm just doing whatever small part that yes I so much so thank you so thank much you. for being that light and not only advocating yeah. just advocating for our very existence and it's not lost on any of us. I, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. Kisses. Stay strong. Stay strong. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is Nazarena sharing my pick because it's my turn to choose the LGBTQ plus icons slash ally of the pod. Um, this group, I, you know, I couldn't think of a more fitting group just based on where the world is right now and how loving and affirmed I feel. And I think that's in part because the organization Black Lives Matter exists. Um, having spoken to one of their managing directors, um, a, a person that whom I love and adore, Kylie Scales, as well as thinking of the three organizers, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi, um, who really came together back in 2013 after the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer, George Zimmerman, to tell the world and demand of it the humanity and dignity um, of a happy life for those of us who navigate the world as Black people every day. And for those who believe that somehow this movement is separate, um, you know, for those of us who identify as LGBTQ, I wanted to read a little excerpt from their about page so that people learn a little bit more about the organization, but what it also means to affirm the lives of all Black people. And so they share, we affirm the lives of black, queer, and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along the gender spectrum, 
Our network centers those who have been marginalized within Black liberation movements. And so I just wanted to share this specifically for those who may feel as they're going out and organizing, you know, that it's one issue at a time that, you know, our race is first. No, many of us live at the intersections and it's important that people understand, you know, for the liberation of Black human beings, that means everyone. It's everyone or no one. And so I want to thank this amazing organization for not only affirming Black lives, but for those Black lives that also live at those variety of intersections that I just shared. And so celebrating all of them for the amazing work that they're doing, that they continue to do, and, you know, wishing them blessings, love, and light. Um, I know that I feel better knowing every day um, that they've rallied hundreds of thousands of people to ensure that those of us who live in, you know, in black skin can be happy and live full, fuller lives. So thank you, Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Patrice. Thank you, Opal. Thank you, Kylie. That's my pick for LGBTQ plus icons slash ally of the pod. Thanks for joining. Bye-bye. If you're interested in supporting the center, whether it be through sponsorship or by donating, feel free to send us an email at voicesofrec at ruthellacenter.org, or you can go to our website and click the donate button in the corner or click on the info button to get to know us a little bit more.